0: Hello, my name is Robbie and welcome to the Neil and Robbie Ultra Cycling Podcast. Neil, how are you?
1: I'm re- I'm really good. A little bit tired but and a, and a little bit hot.
0: How is training in France?
1: Training in France is going really, really well, um, but we are in the middle of a heat wave at the moment and it's baking hot even high up in the mountains. What um, kind of
0: temperatures are we talking
1: well, so when I got back to resort last night at the end of my ride, it was thirty de- 32 degrees, <laughs> which is hot. And I think I peaked. I saw a peak temperature on my Garmin of 42 yesterday as I was riding down in the valleys. So it's really hot. And to record, I have to have the windows shut because there's a big stream outside, which makes lots of noise. So I've got the windows shut. I've got the curtains closed. So this flat I'm staying in is getting very hot and sticky right now.
0: Cool, it's it's quite nice to hear you suffering a little bit while we're in the UK. <laughs> yeah, is it raining? Tell me it's cold and miserable. Um, it's actually okay, like twenty degrees. Um, it's yeah, it's stopped raining now, so it's it's okay. But it's not it's not great if that makes sense. It's not the French Alps. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> but know. I'm looking on it as preparation for the heat wave that's going to hit during TCR this year.
0: Yeah, I, I was reading about this. That's, um, I'm. If it's gonna either be really hot or really cold, I'd rather it be really hot. So yeah, so I'm not too I'm not too worried about that. But it's just yeah, it's it's gonna be brutal. But last year they had the same, if I'm correct in saying.
1: Uh, I don't know. I think it was the year before where they had the really hot weather. Yes, it was like, actually. Like, what, yeah, was you're it right. Called like heat wave. Dante or something, something like that. <laughs>
0: Heatwave Ursula. Uh,
1: yeah, do they name them? Do they name heat waves like they name know. tropical
0: storms and uh, and hurricanes and things like that? They should, but I think they should come up with really amusing ones, like you know, Typhoon Tarquin and stuff like that. <laughs> No, um, Do you think that, uh, anyway, yeah, so okay. it's really hot
1: here, but that's kind of good prep, and yeah, the training's been going really well. I had a really good ride yesterday, like hundred and ninety k four thousand mm-hmm. meters of climbing, uh nine hours on the bike. it was just it was savage, um, but cool. I rode one of the climbs that's gonna be on this year's uh Etap de Tour. So the climb from uh, Moutier up to Val And man, what a climb. It's beautiful. Really beautiful. Even though you go through a, a really ugly ski resort in Lehmann-Weir and you finish in not a very pretty ski resort in Val the climb itself is really beautiful. Um, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So I think anyone doing the attack this year is in for a treat because they do the... They start with the... Uh, Cormé de Roseland which I did a couple of days ago that's a really stunning climb and uh, then they finished with the climb to Alta so they're doing something like 4,000 meters of climbing in 130k so that's going to be a really horrible day out on the bike.
0: What does an ugly ski resort look like? Is it the people or like the buildings or oh. Oh, the, uh, the buildings? <laughs> Sorry, <I'm... laughs> the, the buildings. Oh. <laughs> There's no people
1: in the ski results at the moment because it's still really quiet because the summer season's not really started. So it's kind of everywhere is kind of empty. I got to I got to the top yesterday and there was nothing open. There was no couldn't find a restaurant, couldn't find a cafe, couldn't find a shop. So I literally just ate a sandwich, drank some water, and then carried on back down the hill. But Yeah, I'll send you some photos. Um, Google Lehman Weir. I mean, it's a pretty... Yeah, it's not a very pretty place. But that's kind of... The the French did a whole load of building in the 60s and 70s of these ski resorts. And I think they just... Let's just say they didn't have a good sense of architectural style at the time.
0: So, um, I am not meant to be around next week. I'm actually meant to be racing the Transalba. But... I pulled out of it, Neil, before even getting to the start line, I dropped it. So, um, as you know, I've had been struggling with a bit of a bad knee since the podcast started. Like, what was it, five, six weeks ago when I've been going, oh, I was able to ride a little bit more today, recovery, recovery, recovery. Um, I realised that I haven't really had much training done and haven't been feeling like amazing about it. And I just, I emailed the organisers, which were really good about it all, just saying, I don't think I'll be coming this year, just because it, my knee was just so bad and I don't want to go in and ruin myself because I've got quite a lot of plans to the the later part of the year. So, yeah, so that's, that's been a bit of a, a bit of an annoyance. But yeah, so I, I was telling everyone a few weeks ago that, oh, Trans Alba's coming up, but I just don't feel strong enough for my knee. I can ride distance, but I I still don't feel like I'm there. If that makes sense, I'm i fit but not race fit. So yeah, so I dropped out of the Transalba before it even started, which is a first for me to drop drop out of a race before it starts.
1: Yeah, I I think this was the right decision. It was always going to be very close to TCR, and I think to be racing now because like when you're racing, it takes a lot more out of it out of you than when you're training. So
0: yeah, and you said, or oh, we could use this as like a training. Like a training block, but you know me. I'm just going to get to the start line, see everyone, and I'm just going to hammer it. And that's that'll be that'll be the downfall. So, I just decided my knee's not ready. I I'm just kidding myself in thinking that I'm ready to smash out two, three hundred mile days and do up to a thousand miles. You know, it's it's just not right. So yeah, so I I've backed off from it, which is a tactical retreat. So that's not ideal. But and I apologise for anyone that asked me questions about trans album wanted to meet me there and stuff like that i i am sorry but i'm a bailer but that's okay because it was tactical choice and you you might have said this to me when i first got injured a couple of times that it's probably not a good idea so i'm kind of indirectly taking your advice there's a first time for everything (laughs) there is a first time for anything (laughs) one day soon he's
1: going to come on this show and say neil i've had my bike fit yeah, <laughs> have you had your bike fit yet, Robbie? <laughs>
0: no, I haven't. Um, Andy, who is doing it, is away in Scotland. I know where I'm meant to be. So, um, yeah, so he's doing the, he's actually doing the North Coast 500. Um, and I, if you've ever heard of Andy Jackson, he's like a TT champion, or you know, like um, he's incredible. I think he rode, if I'm correct, like 311 miles in like 12 hours once. He's, he's pretty insane, but he's kind of a, elite level. And um, he went up to, I saw his video and he had gone up to Scotland for a funeral and he just literally, while he was kind of just sitting on YouTube in Scotland, he heard about the North Coast 500 and then just thought, actually, I'm just gonna go and ride this. So I've got a bit of time and that's what he did. He had his bike with him and he's just decided to go and ride the North Coast 500. Awesome. Which is a little bit random. But hats off, because that should be quite quite a normal thing like that. But that was made quite famous by um, Mark Beaumont, if I'm correct in because he did it in like 48 hours or something, didn't he? Am I right in saying? Anyway, he did it quickly, but he did it really quickly. And then they did it with GCN, so it's a really good GCN video, which I'll put in the show notes of... Um, them riding the north coast 500 which i hear is very good yeah Yeah. no it
1: looks beautiful it's something i'd like to go and do and probably take my time over rather than try and ride around it too quickly
0: yeah it's it's really hilly and full of midges in the summer as well
1: oh yeah no i'd have to pick the right time of year to go i i hate the thought of midges in scotland
0: oh yeah just oh that yeah, no, not into it. Not into it at all. And I was I was going to do the Trans Album, which is around Scotland. And they're like, oh, the weather's going to get really hot. So, one thing I'm quite happy about is that I'm not going to be fighting off midges. Cool. Anyway,
1: shall we get on to the news? Let's do it. Most exciting thing is the TCR rider list was announced this morning.
0: Yes. And do you know, actually, this was an, like Anna, I noticed a comment here. Someone put on the Transcontinental page. Oh, the numbers are out, and Anna's like, I haven't even released this yet. People are that keen. They, I think they just guessed the actual web page address and got onto it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, before it was announced, everyone knew their numbers. So what is your cap number, Robbie? Mine's an interesting one, actually. So I'm 119, which doesn't sound very interesting, but my first TCR I pulled out of, I was actually cap number 19. So it's actually quite nice to go back and say, actually, I'm gonna smash this with a similar number to where I was before. What about you?
1: Because you're gonna go one better. One
0: better, yeah. i get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I do get it. Yeah, so I'm. Um, I'm quite. Yeah, I'm. I'm quite happy with that. And yeah, I, my lucky number's eight. So I would have loved 88 or 888 or 8,088, but. Yeah, we'll see. What about you? <laughs> uh,
1: I am uh, cap number one hundred and ninety-five. Are you happy with that cap number? I, it makes no difference to me at all.
0: <laughs> well, I, I look at it in like weird ways, as like one plus nine is ten, plus five is fifteen. So yeah, you kind okay. of 15, fifteen has
1: no relevance either.
0: But what if you finish fifteenth now? I reckon you owe me a beer for making that connection.
1: Right. Okay. No. Because then you're implying it's nothing to do with my riding,
0: and it's just luck. Um, so in that case, I'm hoping to finish one plus one plus nine eleventh.
1: Okay, if you finish eleventh, I'll buy you a beer, just because you finished eleventh. Nothing to do with your number superstition.
0: <laughs> but that that does come across quite quite often. But yeah, I I really want to to finish top ten, but that's a big ask. That's a big ask. I'd like to win, but that's an even bigger ask.
1: Yeah, top top
0: ten would be really hard. I was looking at last year's <clears throat> numbers. Oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's not even funny. So my my aim in most races now, I feel like I'm at this point now where I aim to be in the top ten percent. But and then I then I'm really pushing myself. But I normally I sound quite arrogant here, finish in the top ten percent of races. So obviously that changes and things like that but I I'm. that's what I'm aiming for but it depends you never know what it's going to be like on the day you just you just never know do you so that's what I aim for because I think it's good to have realistic goals but then again if it it's more about the journey than it is about the position you finish at the end in my eyes yeah definitely and yeah anyway so your training is going pretty well
1: yeah, my training's going very well. I'm I'm really pleased with how things are progressing out here, getting a lot of good miles in, uh good kilometers in, um a lot of good climbing in. The challenge is just to try and make sure I'm getting enough recovery in. It's so easy to come out here to the Alps and then try and smash it every day, um which would be really counterproductive. So, you know, I'm taking plenty of of recovery days and easier days and uh building in quite a lot of kind of structured intensity um and combining that with with the longer rides as well so yeah everything's everything's going really really well um i had my brother-in-law out for uh four days uh last week which was great we had a fantastic time uh and now i'm just yeah head down riding my bike a lot
0: cool Uh,
1: how's how's
0: your training going (laughs) Um. <laughs> uh. Good. Good. So, um, we, we kind of I did touch on this earlier, but I want to talk about this kind of again. So this is kind of off off recording, but I said to Neil recently that training is going okay. So I'm getting some good power sessions in i'm doing some long rides so maybe a little bit longer than than i should do because I'm, I'm just enjoying the mileage now that i can ride long distance again so i might have rode like 160 miles the other day um which was fun uh so yeah so it's going well i feel good and i'm definitely getting to where i need to be which is awesome i am getting a little bit outcast on saying that i'm looking at other ways to be quicker so I've, I've looked a lot into my race around holland and had a lot of thoughts about different ways of training so although i'm getting fitter i'm thinking about you know training my sleeping patterns training into eating the right things and carrying the right amount of food so i, I feel as though as a whole i'm being really productive for my race but training is going well and i, I do feel very strong at the minute I feel really active and you know my bike feels really good i I feel like every time I come into a different race I've learned something from the last one I feel as if I was to race another ten twenty times then eventually I'd be like hitting the top three but training is fun i'm I'm actually enjoying it a little bit more than I thought I would do if that makes sense. I'm really enjoying the mileage just absolutely loving being on the bike good okay now. In terms of other
1: news, what um what's been kind of catching your interest
0: this week? Uh, the new Shimano RXH shoes I got. That's that's caught my interest. I'm not gonna lie. Like I have a polished chrome bike. Um, you'll probably see it on the our socials, and um, I got set, Like I got some really nice um RXH Shimano shoes, and they are beautiful. They are absolutely beautiful. They're like a silver camo. I. Will I've put a picture on my Instagram riding with Robbie, and they're they're really cool. So I'm really happy with that. And it's shoes that you can walk in, so it's quite nice. So they're not like predominantly road; they're the new gravel shoes. So that's that's got me really excited this week. I can't I lie. I'm not
1: gonna say a word about your shiny silver camo shoes. <laughs> but
0: like the the first thing, the amount of messages I've had of people going. Uh, only like only with you it's always the shiniest things you can put your hands and i'm like well yeah that's that's very true so i'm actually really excited to wear my silver shoes which is going to be quite cool and maybe to have something a bit more rugged for a bit more kind of gravel and off-roady riding that i'm doing so that's exciting what's got you excited does does that mean you're going to need to
1: um use mountain bike pedals
0: yes it does it does, so I'm gonna I'm gonna use some XTR pedals or XT pedals, I think, instead. But I, I'm gonna try them first, just to make sure that they're good for the distance. Because I know there's a lot of controversy about, you know, that if it spreads the the impact enough on a smaller cleat, then if you use a bigger cleat, like a road cleat, if that makes sense. So it's gonna be a bit of trial and error. But I think I'll probably end up using them on TCR.
1: But your cleats will obviously be in the perfect position because you will have had your bike fit
0: they will yes <laughs> i'm sure they will <laughs> they'll be in the perfect position um what are your thoughts on that though i know that's a weird question to ask but do do you feel as though i would from going from racing always in road pedals and road shoes how do you think it's going to be for me going over to let's say a mountain bikey gravelly shoe and using a different cleat do you think that's going to be an issue? or I, I
1: don't think it's going to make a massive difference um, I mean I do find I get a I do find I get a more solid interface with my road shoes and road pedals um, and so I'm probably going to ride those um, but as long as they're fairly stiff soles okay. I, I, it's, I don't think it's a massive difference um, but I, I do prefer riding in my road shoes So that's what I'm going
0: to ride. Fair play, fair play. What's got you excited this week, Neil?
1: Right, two things for me. Um, The Tour Divide. Amazing. What a a race. I mean, we we touched on it uh, last week, um, but I've been following it really, really closely. Um, It's just been an incredible race. So much going on um you know go over to track leaders go and go and follow the dots um there's a really good facebook group uh, which we'll put in the show notes uh where there's a lot of updates and a lot of chat um I mean the main thing was um there there was some the weather's been pretty awful um there were snowstorms uh, the two leaders at the time, Sofiane and, and Josh Cato, uh, were going up and over, over a pass uh, in the middle of the night in a snowstorm. Sofiane was kind of breaking trail up to his thighs in snow. Uh, he got lost. Um, eventually, he had to turn around and come back. and I think it really shook him up. Uh, Josh Cato carried on through. He had to bivvy out in the snow. Uh, he, he found a cave, but there was like a cougar in the cave. Um, and, um, yeah, it just, it sounded epic. And then Sofiane retreated, Josh got through three other guys got through and then a load of people, uh, including Josh Iber, including Lail Wilcox, they got stuck at, uh, I think it's, uh, Bush Mountain Lodge or Brush Mountain Lodge. Um, there's, there's video of, of Josh and Lael trying to get through, but the mud was just, uh, impenetrable, impenetrable at that time. So a load of people collected. And then I think everyone kind of fell out of race mode and people kept going, oh, we can't, it's still too hard and what have you. And then somebody on the Northbound, uh, uh, race came through on a touring bike and was like, well, that wasn't too hard. And that kind of shook everybody up and. And, and people have started to carry on. So, yeah, it's just been absolutely incredible to watch. And I think, you know, we should see the winners coming in in the next uh, probably three days. So, yeah, so Tour Divide has just been amazing and really just so uh, inspirational to follow. Um, the other thing that I've been following this week, which looks amazing, is uh, the GB Juro uh, event, which is a... Uh, it, it's a predominantly off-road gravel bike packing race, um, which follows, uh, the line of, um, what they've called the UK divide, which is basically Land's End to John O'Groats, um, but predominantly off-road and it goes through into Wales as well. Um, really interesting. Um, they've, the, the race has been split into four sections and, uh, that allows you to stop in between the sections and get some proper recovery without being on the clock, which I think is quite an interesting concept because it's kind of brought it down to four kind of short sprint stage ultra races back to back. Um, So the route looks amazing. The concept is, is really interesting, Uh, but this is another one of those events that um, uh, EF education have sent one of their riders to. So, world tour rider uh, lachlan morton from australia he's turned up and he has just smashed it and the go check out ef education's instagram page there's some awesome photos of lachlan racing around the uk um properly getting stuck in i mean he's full-on bivvying in the middle of nowhere wading through river crossings And I, you know, I, I think this whole thing about EF education, sending their riders to more unusual events is, um, proving to be a real hit. And I've, I've just been, I've been in awe of watching how, um, a a world tour pro rider has taken on this kind of race. Really, really exciting.
0: I didn't realize that about the concept of the race. I didn't realize that as four stages, what, what kind of, Distance between each stage? Um,
1: I, I think it's about 700k.
0: Oh, so they're big sections then.
1: Yeah, they're, they're big stages. I mean, I think uh, the first stage t- took riders, uh, you know, the fastest time was uh, something like 40 hours or something. I, I need to go and double check that. But yeah, they're proper proper long stages. They're not things you could get done in, 20, in 12 hours or 24 hours. You know, they are requiring either racing through the night or bivvying out or um, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, really interesting. And this now is definitely one that I'd be interested in doing next year. Do
0: Do you think that eventually, like, can I ask a silly question in saying that if companies and, you know, teams keep sending people like that, it might ruin it for the common man? Or do you think it just makes it more exciting? Um sorry say so i say common man common man or woman the common person so it, because it it could be like oh you get to see your favorite bike packing professional stars but these are guys which are getting all the time to train all the resources all the bikes all the ties that kind of thing so you've just got no chance in competing against them Do you, do you think in the future if loads of people jumped on this bandwagon it could be really good for the sport or it could be really bad and uh, that yeah if you don't mind me asking that question what your opinions on that
1: so i i think i i don't think we're in any danger of this becoming uh like let's say the tour de france where it's just full-time professionals uh all over the you know on on every race um you know, there's been quite a bit of chat on the Tour Divide pages around all these sponsored riders turning up, and, you know, they is that against the ethos of it, because they're getting all this help and support, and, and actually, when you look at it, the top riders of the likes of Sofiane and Josh, etc., they still have jobs, they still work, um, Yeah. you know, they work full-time, they have to fit training in around working full-time, like the rest of us. Um they just happen to be good enough that companies want to be associated with that, and they just get a bit of free kit. Um, yeah. Which, to be honest, that's that's what you and I do. Um, you know, we still have to hold down full time jobs. Um, do I think? I, I think. I I think it's a good thing at the moment. This thing with EF Education, because I think it is bringing exposure to other aspects of the sport. It, which will which will just. Um, increase people's awareness of it um it it shows different sides to cycling which I think are are really really interesting and I think there's enough you know when you talk about long distance ultra racing especially the self-supported bikepacking races there's so many different aspects to it other than just how fast you can ride your bike um, that it's not always down it's not always going to be the 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 pro tour guys who win or if they do it's because they've got all the other skills that are required and like, like I say you know you look at these photos of of Lachlan Morton racing and he's properly getting stuck in there's no sense of um a mollycoddled pro here he's he's sleeping rough he's 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 riding hard he just looks filthy and destroyed at the end of each stage so yeah i i think it's a good thing
0: i must admit i'm looking at the, the Instagram now and yeah no I, I, I agree it's just it's an interesting question to ask and this is a conversation me and you have had before about like you know although you know money would help and support would help and training full time help but it, it just comes to I think down to these races and yeah, I'm not sure if you'll agree with me or disagree with this or I me mean, for me it comes down to how bad do you want to be in this race and how much do you want to get to the end and how quick do you want to finish it always, always comes down to self preference in the end does that make sense it doesn't i don't think whether you're training 15 hours a week or 50 hours a week it it makes that much difference it just comes down to how much heart you've got how much sleep you're willing not to have and that kind of thing i think there's too many variables as well that are involved in the sport that makes it very difficult to just say I'm going to go full time and win because I don't think it's that simple
1: no no I don't think it's that simple you know my only concern would be that point around sleep and how little sleep are you prepared to get to win I think that that's something that does lead towards real danger Um, so you know I can see that that being looked at more and more you know, yeah, and, and we see different ways of this taking effect. You look at Transatlantic Way, where you have to be stationary for, what, three or four hours a day. Or yeah. you look at the GB Juro where it's a, a multi-stage uh, ultra race. So, you know, there is plenty of opportunity for people not to be pushing beyond the boundaries of intense sleep deprivation.
0: Yeah, because that... That's a danger, and that kind of brings us into our first topic today, doesn't it? Yes,
1: neatly on to our main topic of conversation of the podcast. So today we are going to talk about sleeping.
0: Yeah, which I think is an awesome subject to talk about, and it's questions that I get asked all the time. Um, Can I start? Is that okay?
1: Yeah, go for it. I, I mean, I agree, it's probably the one thing I get asked the most about is sleeping
0: yeah so obviously uh, sleep's a really big subject and the, the first thing we talk about in ultra racing is sleep deprivation because we say how long can you go without sleep and you know how productive are you and there's there's a million questions in this category so firstly i just want to talk about you know what what are what is sleep deprivation and what are the effects of that so obviously deprivation means that you're not getting enough of it So it can start with quite simple things like yawning, trying to get more oxygen to your brain. You can get a little bit moody. You'll fatigue, which isn't ideal in ultra racing. You get a bit irritable, depressed mood. Um, You struggle with learning new concepts. So this is just a list of the effects of what happens. Forgetfulness, uh, the inability to concentrate or a fuzzy head, they call it. Lack of motivation, clumsiness increased appetite and carbohydrate cravings, and a reduced sex drive.
1: (laughs) Often a challenge, I find, in the middle of an ultra race.
0: Yeah, which is a big issue in an ultra race. So these are are the really basic ones. And then to go extreme, you're talking, you start to microsleep. And microsleep doesn't mean that you're just getting 10 hours on a bench. It means that you are, in your brain, falling asleep, but you're not. So for half an hour your eyes your eyes can be open you can be sitting on a bench and you're you're sleeping but you think you're awake so you you suddenly your brain just switches off and isn't processing any any information and that's obviously a massive thing when you're riding a bike because you're just going to ride into something which is terrible you get delirium where you're just absolutely all over the place you just don't understand what's going on what's happening where you are why you're doing what you're doing it's it's a real problem that one And one that I think me and you know like a little bit about, hallucinations. Like I was reading um, your article, which we're going to talk about. We must talk about before we finish this podcast today. Hallucinations about starting to see things like you seeing aliens. And then you start to think, did did I just see that? Oh, yeah, that's quite normal. That's quite normal. Then you realise you've got a mix of delirium and hallucinations because you've just realised that aliens are a normal thing and you're seeing one when any normal person would be like aliens aren't real and you're probably not going to see one I'm not sure if they're real or not that's another podcast we can talk about so that's kind of the concept of you know sleep deprivation and then you've got to think about with your racing how, how does that you know, suit you how long can you go without sleep what's the normal human being's time and I did quite a bit of research into this and started looking into sleep sleep debts they call it so just say you need as a person eight hours of sleep a night and you get six fantastic but you've only got a two hour you know debt there then you do four the next day okay you've got six hour debt then another two then you've got eight hour debt then another two you've got ten hours debt so after reading into this a while you can make the debt and your body will try and claim that back it'll do its absolute best to get that back So, because it needs to recover, it needs to process all the information you've had throughout the day in your sleep, and that's something you do while you're sleeping. Um, But when you get up to about a 10-hour sleep deprivation, so with ultra racing, if you're racing longer races, like three or four days, and you pass this 10-hour sleep debt, you kind of just hit a level playing field where you just stay in a 10-hour deprivation, and that's all you can really need to make up over the time when you finish racing, or during the race but obviously it's not really good to for to sleep more than eight hours on an ultra race because you're losing too much time so it, it was really interesting for me to notice that a lot of riders do go in strong on the first day or two and then they gain that 10 hour sleep debt and then they just seem to hold that out for towards the end of the race and find a kind of level plateau of being that tired and in that place and knowing when to sleep And I thought it was really interesting because I put it a lot to my strategies, but I've been babbling on for ages. So what are your thoughts on my thoughts on sleep?
1: Well, I think let's, let's, if, if we go back to the beginning, what, why do we need sleep? Um, you know, sleep is where we recover. It's where we process, uh, the day It's where we process memories and learnings, um, it's where our body rebuilds and recovers. So you know in the normal course um, of life, it's a it, it's one of the most important things we do. Um, you know, one of the things I say to people when I'm coaching them is if you're not sleeping properly whilst you're training, then training is a waste of time because sleep is is the most important thing for helping, Uh, recover from those training sessions and recover stronger so you know sleep normally is a very very important part of what we do and I think a lot of people don't take sleep seriously enough although I think you know we are becoming much more aware of of how important a role it plays in our general uh, in our general well-being Um, now obviously the challenge when we're ultra racing is You've got to get this blend of riding, sleeping, eating all at the right level so that you are maximizing the distance covered in any particular time period. So let's let's take 24 hours. And there's a good reason for that, and, and that's because that fits with our own circadian rhythm. So we we work in 24 hour cycles because we our bodies respond to sunlight and uh, and dark. Um, and, and we'll come on to how that can affect how you feel when you're riding in a bit um but yeah you know the aim is over a 24-hour period to be maximizing the distance covered but then also understanding that you've got to do that over the course of the race in question now you know when we take a, a short race so uh, let's say I don't know 700 to a thousand kilometers where you reasonably sure you're going to finish in let's say any between 30 and 48 hours um you've got to maximize the distance covered knowing that after 48 hours you're going to stop so you can actually afford to push all the way through for uh for those two days without really needing to sleep uh, very much but then when you're taking into account a longer race you can't push yourself so hard on the first two days that you're then never going to catch up
0: yeah.
1: Or you're going to just put yourself in such a hole that you can't ride strongly. Okay, so you you've got to be thinking about not just what's the 24-hour period, but also how am I going to keep going for 10, 11, 12, 15 days, which is going to be the case in in say the TCR.
0: Yeah. So your race racing in Oman, you you pretty much just went on through with a couple of very very short 10-15 minute sleeps. And you finished. Oh, I'm gonna take a wild guess at this in about forty-four hours. Am I correct in saying Neil? Uh,
1: yeah, forty-five and a
0: half. So, your productivity levels from after riding ten hours to after riding forty. What was the noticeable changes there for you?
1: I I think the the biggest things I noticed were. The fact that your alertness does vary with. Whether it's daylight or not So I really struggled going through the first night Between like 12 and 4 o'clock in the morning Um, You know, you would notice your speed drop off Your power drop off And then I would stop and have a quick nap in a bus stop And then immediately afterwards I'd be able to push harder again Yeah And then 3 to 4 hours later again That would tail off 20 minute nap Immediately able to push on hard again Yeah As you then come into the daylight, your body wakes up because your body is expecting to wake up because it's daylight. So riding through the day, although yes, there's accumulated fatigue, you, I didn't get that sense of sleepiness. Yeah. Then when you pushed on into the second night, I think because I knew I'd be finished by about one or two o'clock in the morning, I would just the adrenaline of getting close to the finish line keeps you going through. Um, but it's when you go into the second night that you then start to get your hallucinations. Yeah. So that is when, and, and really by hallucinations, what, what I th- think it is, is it's your mind, you're seeing things and your mind is interpreting it in a different way to the way you would normally. So it's not that I was making things up. It's just that when I saw bushes by the side of the road, the way I was moving past those bushes made my mind think it was aliens climbing off the side of the road <laughs> when it, it wasn't that there was nothing there. It's there was something there. It's just the normal brain would have said it's a bush. The yeah. sleep deprived brain said it was a pair of aliens. <laughs> so um, did they have names? Or... <clears throat> no, no, I didn't give them names, but they did look like a cross between uh, a- the alien from alien uh, aliens and uh, Predator. It was like an alien versus oh. Predator, but in one body.
0: Oh, they've done that. So it wasn't, there was the alien that kind of got predated or whatever. The predator that got aliened, you know, and then like literally got the face I got on him. And then there was this hybrid thing. So there is a film with that in. I think it's Aliens versus Predator Requiem.
1: Okay. I'll have to go I and watch that because I, <laughs> I love all the alien films. So I think they're oh, brilliant. Same.
0: They're so so good. Prometheus as well, just yeah. I've incredible. seen Prometheus. I like that one. Oh, love it. Uh,
1: not as good as Aliens. The, the the Alien and Aliens, the two of the best films ever.
0: Yeah, hugely. They they kind of got a little bit crazy after that, didn't they? But they are just incredible films. Why haven't we spoke about this either? We never talk about Xbox. We never talk about films. Maybe we should do an episode on that. No, I'm kidding. What do you watch while you're riding?
1: No, Let's not, not talk about that. No, that, no. that's that, don't watch things whilst you're riding people because that will end in disaster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah, coming back to back to the the, the sleep and the, the strategy for it and and the effects of it. So you know, I, I do think you've got to look at the the distance of the race. And therefore, how much time do you need to spend sleeping in order to, A, be able to ride strongly, and B, which which I think is really important, and I don't think this is given enough kind of weight, it, to make good decisions. So, I, I think a lot of good ultra racing is about good decision making. And that can be around you know deciding when to stop deciding that you need to eat to stay on top of your eating and your hydration all of those things and and when you start to get sleep deprived one of the big things you notice is your ability to uh, make decisions completely goes out the window
0: yeah did i ever tell you about that time in corsica with the food no so um i was uh, so we i was racing in corsica and it got to like the last night and i think i've mentioned this on the podcast before i hadn't taken a bivy or anything like that and i knew it was going to get cold and i was coming up to that last coastal section and i was tired near like i'd been riding 34 hours or something and i was just feeling shot to pieces actually maybe it was more than maybe it was about 40 hours and i just wasn't there i'd had like an hour or two's kip over the the duration and I thought it was going to get dark now, and I remember thinking, oh, I need food, I need food, and I thought, don't worry, Rob, you've got food, so I looked in my bag, and I had this ham and this cheese, and I checked the date, and I couldn't read it, because it was in French, and I'm not very really good at that, so I looked at the date, and it said um, uh, March on it, March, whatever, and this was, this race was in April, or no, it said May, the food said May, and the race was in April, so it was plenty of time. And um, I looked at it, and I just got really pissed off and upset, like, oh, no, I've just bought loads of out-of-date food, because I'd translated it, and it said, oh, your food runs out in May, but I thought it was January, February, May, April, March. And I was just so all over the shop that I threw all this food off this the side of this cliff, because I thought it was out-of-date, carried on riding, thinking, well, I'll just have to go into the night on... The energy gels i've got there and just find a restaurant or something with some bread that i can buy or whatever and i binned all this food and uh, then realized after i'd finished the race and sat down with you that it doesn't go january february may april march it goes a bit differently so that was probably the stupidest stupidest mistake i've ever made when tired and yeah about decision making that was awful because it just took me into the night and I was literally scraping breadcrumbs from the bottom of my bag by three in the morning and what's open at France at three in the morning or on Corsica? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I was contemplating just seeing if people's doors were unlocked just to run in and get some bread and run out again. Do you know what I mean? It was I was just that tired and that hungry. So yeah, that was probably the worst decisions I, decision I've made uh, recently uh, when racing and being tired.
1: Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think having the ability to make those decisions and make good decisions is, is really important. And that's one of the first things that goes when you start to become super sleep deprived. Um, so it's really important. It's really important to stay, to stay refreshed, to stay as recovered as you can be, given that you need to keep pushing your, uh, you know, keep moving your bike forwards. Um, and, and I think going into a race, especially a longer race, so, yeah, shorter races, you can just race through. But going into a longer race with a clear idea of how you're going to manage your sleep, how much sleep you need as an individual to keep on pushing, is is one of the most important things you can think about in terms of your strategy. And, yeah. you know, I think it's really interesting that you look at what the, the, some of the best racers do and i i think people do now pay much more attention to that sleep process and will kind of generally most people i see will will target a solid three to four hours a night yeah and try and make that really as as high quality as you can you can get it
0: so that makes me think when you say about as high quality so you're basically saying the difference between bivying and being in a hotel or you know being in a nice bed and sleeping on a floor somewhere when we talk quality
1: yes i i i do um i yeah there's definitely that that decision as to you know what where are you going to sleep um and for me if you can stay in a hotel with a bed then uh, that's always going to give you better sleep than lying rough on the side of the road
0: so we we talked so i I remember hearing I'm not sure how true this is someone might have to <laughs> someone might have to fact check this for me, but um yeah we we not got someone to make our notes and fact check yet we we still we we didn't get many applicants <laughs> to that um James Hayden here's an interesting thing he actually um said. This needs fact-checking. Where's Where's John, our fact-checker? Yeah, he's he's not here. Um, that He actually did the last TCR. Obviously, he rode through, I think, one or two of the nights. But he did it staying in hotels. I don't think he bivvied at any point. I, I, and that, that was quite interesting for me, because I've been thinking a lot about strategies for this transcontinental, and I've been sitting there thinking, OK, well, how how am I going to get around this? Because I'm not a very good sleeper. I don't enjoy bivvying. Not even going to lie there. I mess about in hotels. I struggle with willpower when I wake up after three hours kip and know I have to leave at four in the morning out of a hotel which has a warm bed and there's probably going to be a nice croissant breakfast in the morning or something like that. That's a real problem for me. So I, I sat there thinking, well, maybe I could use the strategy of taking a bivy in a sleeping bag and doing one night in the bivy and then having a hotel to look forward to. But then you put in all these extremities of, oh, are you going to get a decent night's sleep? And are you going to find a hotel on that second night? And I'd kind of got this whole thing of, you know what, Rob? A lot of my problem is when I'm looking for hotels is wasting the time finding the hotel, you know, spending too long in the hotel. So I decided that I've got to force myself into learning how to bivy. And having a bivy bag and a sleeping bag will mean that at night time, I'll take more risks to push on into the night. I won't look for a hotel at nine o'clock because I'm worried about not finding one which is open after 10 o'clock. And that, for me, I think is going to be a really good strategy. So I've, I've kind of promised myself on the run-up to Transcontinental once a week that I'm going to go and bivvy somewhere to stop getting scared. Because I think a big problem with bivvying and sleeping and why people want to use hotels ride right through the night is because they get scared and... I, I talk about that from personal experience, you know, like, I I understand I've done some really cool stuff, some really crazy stuff, and I have bivvied before, but it's not that I don't enjoy it, I quite like the idea of being in the wilderness and, you know, embracing the elements and that kind of thing, but I I get scared, Neil, like, I sit there thinking, one minute I think there's a ghost in the bush, then I think there's a dragon, then I think there's, you know, a leopard, and you know what I mean, and then before, I know I haven't slept because... I heard a twig break four hours ago, you know, so for me it's about, you know, manning up a bit to the situation, and just getting used to just, you know, kind of getting a bit more rough and ready to it, and then I think, on the back of that, I know that I'll be able to go into the night further, knowing if I don't find a hotel, that I can just chuck the bivy out, and actually not get a decent night's sleep, because you're still sleeping outside on the floor, it's never going to be as good as a hotel bed, but actually getting some sleep just to push forward to the next day but yeah for me it's it's about not being scared i physically i'm i'm fine to do it but mentally i just sit there thinking oh god you know what if this was an old indian burial ground do you know i know it sounds stupid i listen to way too many horror podcasts you need
1: to spend less time in your own head i think robbie
0: well that that's it and i think when i get tired i start to worry about all these things and The only way I bivvy and have done in the past is by being that tired that I just don't care about these things. But if I'm not that tired and I'm sleeping as part of a strategy, then sometimes I will be kept awake with worrying about stupid little things and, you know, making up stories in my head about, you know... What what ghost is in this house? You know what I mean. Down the road, <laughs> you know what I mean. Maybe I just watch too many horror films. I'm gonna sit. I
1: th- I'm gonna sit you down and make you watch Blair Witch Project like five times before we go to TCR. But it, uh, you know, I think that's that's a that's a good idea because if you practice bivying, you practice. Uh, you know how to how to spot somewhere good to go and bivvy that you get used to sleeping with like you know very little in the way of creature comforts and warmth. You'll adapt to it and then hopefully on race day you will be it's not so much that you won't be scared but you'll be able to get better quality sleep and it's all about that quality of sleep i think if you can get three or four hours of um absolute quality sleep then you'll i think that's enough to then keep you going i mean obviously it just depends on the individual some people might need a little bit more but that will help you get used to it i mean so for me i i'm definitely thinking along the lines of the stay in a hotel every night um yeah but what that means is you just got to be really efficient at not wasting time getting into and out of a hotel you got to become very very good at that
0: this is something we we spoke about off off recording actually earlier is in i was saying to neil that i have this big issue so i looked back to my race around the netherlands and I was like how can how could people be so far in front of me and I realized I was losing a lot of time in my rest periods and this wasn't and I sat there thinking well what was I doing in my rest periods because I wasn't just falling into a bed and going to sleep and it was this case of oh I was going to get some food and oh I was getting to my hotel and chilling out on Facebook for half an hour oh then um when I woke up I decided that I didn't want to do a this is going to sound gross, but I'm going to say it. I didn't want to do a rough poo, so I thought I'd have some water and get myself prepped and go to the toilet before I left. And before I realised this, um, I realised that I was probably losing, if by staying in a hotel, an extra hour and a half in just not going straight to sleep, you know, well, what's the Wi-Fi code? And then waiting and having a poo and sitting on Facebook for 20 minutes in the morning, not having the willpower just to jump out of bed and just get on the bike and just get on with it. And I thought bivvying would help me because it's not really a case of I'll sit around and wait and go to the toilet. You just get on the bike and you just go, you just pack and go. So I, I kind of, on the back of it, wanted to start bivvying as well to maybe save myself some time because i know i find it very difficult to ride for 20 hours and then jump into a hotel and be like four hours sleep and then wake up in the morning and actually want to get on my bike and go because it like i'm sure everyone's in the same situations everything hurts you're knackered it hurts you're hungry and all you there thinking about is Oh, do I have to get on that bike? When if you're bivvying in the middle of a bloody forest or on the side of the road, you can't think of anything better than getting on the bike and finding a bakery and getting some awesome pan of chocolates, you know what I mean? So that's for me, is is another reason why I'm doing it. And one thing that you're very good at, Neil, compared to me is being very efficient. I remember in Peru, when we got to the first uh, checkpoint and we decided to stay there, you were out and gone way before me. I was just pissing about packing my bags and I just waste so much time in hotels and that's something for me that needs to be approached
1: uh yeah but you know as we said earlier I think that's that's not about sleeping and that's not about hotels that's about your own mental processes at the start of the day um, which you can address without necessarily needing to sleep in the woods um but I you know I still think your idea of practicing the bivying, uh demystifying it in your mind is is a good thing um Now there is one other. There are some other interesting ways of tackling the sleep problem. Um, Yeah, so so I was reading an article by Melissa Pritchard, who was the twenty seventeen women's uh, winner of the TCR, and that was uh, a year where it was really really hot. So it was a massive heat wave uh, across Europe, and she actually flipped everything around, so she would ride during the night but would then uh sleep uh in a restaurant when she stopped for lunch so she'd stop for lunch she'd eat lunch in the restaurant and then just say look do you mind if i just curl up on this bench for you know an hour or two and have some sleep and and that's how she would approach it
0: that's with, a really good idea well I've well i think it's genius that.
1: because then you take away this fear of where am i going to find to sleep you're in a you're in a restaurant you've just paid for food with that restaurant and more often than not if you're it's like two o'clock in the afternoon they're going into a quiet period they'll, they'll be like yeah sure go on have a have a snooze will not will not disturb you you sleep for two hours you 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 miss the heat of the of the day and then and then you can crack
0: on actually i never never even thought of that that's uh that's a really interesting concept but it the thing is though that's that becomes with another thing is though you have to um a lot of new riders so i think me and you neil especially probably take for granted that We are very experienced in what we do and I get a lot of questions from people saying I get scared of night time, you know, riding at night and things like that and that's also something, like I talk about the bivvying, that you just need to get used to. It's just something you need to do just to keep riding at night, get used to riding at night, not be scared of riding at night and it comes in time but, you know, I always was told and I can't remember who told me this but there's no point being scared of something until it's actually in front of you causing you a problem. So like I sit there moaning about, you know, like bivving rough and what if there's a leopard around the corner or something. Until I actually see a leopard and it's given me some beef, then then it's a problem.
1: Yeah, and I think you're highly unlikely to see a leopard ever in your life, except in a zoo um yeah you know definitely address uh address your fears and your weaknesses especially if they have a big impact on on your race so yeah with this kind of racing you're always going to need to ride at night so go and practice go and get out go and ride at night ride with your lights ride in completely deserted places so that yes the first time you will be shitting yourself but after Five, six, seven rides overnight or or into the night, you'll you'll get used to it, and it's
0: it's then not a problem. I I must admit, so I I was saying to you, I've got like a little bit of a gap of time off the next few days, and I'm I'm not gonna lie, I I there's a lot of training I want to do, but I was considering um maybe having an easy day today and then going and doing some training tonight because I find that even after all the experience I've had, it takes me one or two rides through the night to get used to riding at night again. Just to get used to the silence, the peace, to be able to go into a forest and on some trails in the pitch black. And understand that if you do get a puncture and it's pitch black in the middle of the forest, you, you you can't put the energy into getting scared and worried about what's going on. You have to just say, okay... Let's put that energy into actually dealing with the problem, and that's when you're changing, sorting out your tubeless, changing your inner tubes, things like that. So, to be honest, I was I was toying with the idea of going night riding tonight for a while, just to kind of get get back into the swing of things, going fully loaded, and maybe even if I stay up today, having a having a quick bivy tonight, or maybe bivy in tomorrow night, and yeah, just getting used to all the extremities of of what we do, and it is really difficult, and I hope that there's people who are starting listening to this podcast that haven't really ultra-raced before and realise that it's kind of okay to be scared and stuff at night. That's normal. You know, it's pitch black. You can't see anything. You know, my my kind of only advice to those people is, you know, just stop worrying and just get on with the task at hand a lot of the time you should you know really be thinking about where you're getting to where you're going to get food not be fabricating stories in your head and just don't listen to horror podcasts or true crime podcasts at like silly o'clock in the morning in a forest when you're on your own and stuff like that
1: no i definitely don't do that um i i want to just come back to uh kind of some of the the principles or mechanics of sleeping because I think that's quite uh interesting in terms of how we then apply that to to what we do in, in ultra racing. So I'm gonna put a link into the show notes. There's a really interesting podcast um that was done by a British uh GP, a guy called Rongan Chatterjee. He did a podcast with the guy who became the sleep advisor to Team Sky. Yeah. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes but in general if you're looking at the way we sleep um, we tend to sleep in 90 minute cycles and so in this podcast they talked a lot about you know making sure you slept in multiples of a cycle uh, and that you know we always talk about eight hours a day and actually if you get uh, five cycles of sleep so five 90 minute cycles which is seven and a half hours then then actually you can break that down between um break that down in the day and and separate out um where you have all your different sleep cycles so you could do two in the middle of the afternoon you could then do three at night and that would still be your eight hours a day so i you know that that's very interesting and and i use that sometimes if i'm napping in the middle of the day to try and get a full sleep cycle but, you know, I think if we look at how that then applies to uh, the sleep we get, um, I'm really going to be looking at how do I sleep in multiples of those sleep cycles. So for me, I'm either going to be doing three hours or four and a half hours. Yeah. Because that way I'm sleeping in a, a full cycle. Um, and generally I've found that to to work for me in terms of, yes, I do sleep in these ninety minute cycles and if I do like three hours sleep in the middle of the day it does have quite a good impact. Yeah. So, you know, so I think that's that's an important thing to think about and think about, you know, what what is your own sleep cycle? Is it ninety minutes? Is it eighty minutes? Is it a bit longer? And and take that into how you're gonna sleep. So if you sleep, you know, if you get to a hotel at like ten o'clock at night, then I'm either going to be saying, right, well I need to sleep for three hours, get up at one o'clock and start riding again or I'm going to sleep through till 2.30 and then get going again. Rather than try and interrupt myself after three and a half hours or four and a half hours. So that I try and get the, the best use of my sleep time.
0: What, um, how can you find out your sleep cycle? Is, is, that's such a weird question to ask. But for someone at home, what would be kind of, obviously, what would be the way of doing that?
1: I, I mean, I would guess trial and error to start with. <clears throat> I think you'll know if you wake up at the right time because you'll be able to get up and get out of bed um whereas if you're interrupted in the middle of a sleep cycle then you'll be like you'll be useless, so you know I know that if I go to bed, chances are about seven and a half hours later I naturally wake up
0: oh, okay, yeah,
1: um, so you know that's that's one thing or one piece of information that I use to then uh, try and determine all of that. Um, and like I say, I've then used that to practice. What happens if I sleep for 90 minutes? What happens if I sleep for three hours? What what happens if I sleep for four and a half hours? And, and as I say, I found that generally works really well for me. So yeah, so I'm going to be taking that in and, and using that as the basis for my sleep strategy. I think the other, um, the other option is to look at lots of micro naps. Um, we, uh, ultra racing is not the original um, sport where a complete lack of sleep uh, is par for the course. Um, I, I love following the, the round the world single-handed yacht racing. Um, I, I, ever since 2004, when Ellen MacArthur came second in the Vendee Globe, um, I, it just, it was a really inspirational story and I was fascinated by the things these sailors went through because, you know, they're piloting these boats at pretty phenomenal speeds, 24-7. There's no break. You can't just pull over and have a little wild bivvy. Your boat's moving forwards all the time. And, you know, she worked with her her team to look at um, sleep and how you could deal with it in the context of a round the world yacht race and and they would they or she would sleep for i think like 10 minutes at a time so she would just have lots of 10 minute sleeps throughout the day or throughout a 24-hour wow. period
0: yeah that's i never really thought of i think do you think there's a bit of a stigma attached to obviously they say you need eight hours a day which you kind of do but do you think there's a bit of a stigma attached to that in ultra racing is because you think, Oh, I need eight hours a day or I'm not going to function that you do that when actually the adrenaline kicks in a little bit and you realize that you are in a race. So you do actually function, but you're, you know, you're, it comes from other places, if that makes sense.
1: I I think that carries for shorter sure races. I think ultimately you can't cheat your physiology. You know, ad- adrenaline will only carry you through a couple of days. You, you, you can't race. 10 15 days on tcr thinking adrenaline's going to get you through the whole race um i, I think you, you'll find uh you'll you'll end up crashing at some point and needing to take a really long sleep um yeah so you know you have to take this seriously and you have to make sure you're getting an appropriate amount of, of rest and recovery uh every single day um but you know i think certainly that there's an option that says Instead of stopping for three hours or four and a half hours, what if I stop every three hours for 10 minutes throughout the day? What's that? Three, eight times, that's 80 minutes. So that gets you like an hour and a half of sleep through the day. So maybe you need a bit more than that. But there's, uh, and I'm going to do some more research on this before we actually start TCR to look at, you know, yes, look at kind of big phases of sleep and what you need, but then also can you do it on micro sleeps throughout the day um because like i say you you know when when Ellen MacArthur was doing her you know after the Vendée globe she went into the round the world um record single-handed and they did a lot of research on sleep and yeah they were doing like 10 minutes every so often and that was enough to keep them going And, and that's a very physical undertaking it's not okay it's not like riding your bike where you are uh you're you're kind of maintaining a constant level of aerobic output um but there's still a lot going on and a lot more in terms of the decision making and the thinking
0: yeah so can i can i ask you something as a thought so just say you sleep in cycles and you need a certain amount to get by and you can get on little 10 minute power naps and stuff like that what would be your thoughts on actually having one good night's sleep and then one good night's sleep, and then taking a whole night off, and then back to one good night's sleep.
1: Well, right. So I'm going to say no. That's not a good idea because your body. This is this is not based on any scientific fact or anything other than my interpretation of how I think it all works. You know, your body does work on a on a circadian rhythm. You know, your body is is over many many thousands of years of evolution we we've evolved to respond to the sun rising and the sun setting yeah which is why when you when you get to daylight suddenly you're more awake you you won't fall asleep in the middle of the day you're likely to fall asleep at night so uh, you know for me i would want to fit to that rhythm as much as i can um you know so for me that's getting the, the sleep right in the middle of the night um, and doing that every night because I think that way you'll stay on top of things. I think trying to skip a night every other night, I think could end in tears. But I, I might be wrong. I, I think with any of these things, it it's about practice now. So I, I know that when I, when I do a two-day race, I know I can do it with just a few little micro-sleeps here and there. I know when it gets to a longer race, I've had, uh, I've found it okay when I've been getting three to four and a half hours sleep of sleep a night. So I, I know that I'm working with known quantities in those two things. Um, if I was going to move to something else, then I would probably practice it beforehand, or at least accept maybe things might need changing on the fly as I was going into a longer race like uh, like the TCR.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's um. It's an interesting thought, so I always thought, you know, for someone someone as, as, as tight as me, <laughs> I'm going to put that out there, someone as tight as me and as, as painful, I thought when I was going to go into ultra racing, I'd try and do one night on, one night off, and I just realised nobody else was doing it, and normally when no one else is doing it, you realise that there's a reason behind why no one else is doing it, and... I decided that maybe if you could spend some time getting used to maybe having one night off, one night on, like, a month beforehand and do it for a whole month then go into the race, you'd be able to drop that sleep down to, like, you know, six, seven, maybe eight hours every other night and work on it that way. Because I just think, how nice would an eight-hour sleep be, even if it was every two days, instead of having four-hour, you know, little you know pushes each day and it it begs the question is is there someone that is going to try that just say oh actually okay I'm going to try doing every other night could it be something that no one's picked up on or would you just crash after about 30 hours and be like I'm so unproductive and find that you're wasting half a day and sleeping on benches and it's always something that I've thrown about in my head that I'd love to try that on a race because Think of the time you'd save, man, like finding hotels and messing about on that front. Think of how efficient you could be if you could just run into a hotel, get eight hours, get there for dinner and have your breakfast. You know what I mean? Like all these extra benefits of doing it instead of like literally just running into a hotel after everything's closed up at 11 at night and leaving at 4am, 3 or 4am, you could actually go there, get like last orders on a really nice big meal, then be up, have your breakfast to brush off again and still not be behind the front of the pack. And I thought, hey, maybe there's something to be said on that. But imagine having to do like 36 hours without sleep stints every you know, every other day, it would, it would be tough, but I always thought I'd ask you the question, and I, I'm not going to lie, Neil, I would like to maybe give it two weeks ago go of trying, of getting into a routine like that, and then going into a race, like a long distance race, and seeing if it actually worked, because imagine, oh, you know, John's in front by however many, but that's okay, you know, Rob's doing a massive stint of like 36 hours, you know what I mean, and then you know people are just chasing you and they're going to need to sleep in between i just think as an overview for ultra racing it it could be an idea maybe a stupid one but it could be an idea
1: yeah it might work give it give it a go robbie
0: <laughs> give it a go i'll be
1: like neil i'm so tired you you try that you try that in uh on tcr um hey uh, look I, I i think we're still we're still learning a lot about how the best way to do this is, I, you know, I think in general people seem to have, uh, seem to do, you know, the three to four hours a night every night, um, and then it just becomes around, it becomes a question of how if how efficiently and effectively do you do the whole, you know, where's the hotel, find the hotel, into the hotel, eat, sleep, get up, go um you know how do you if you take the premise that that's what we're all doing how do you become the quickest at doing how do you become the quickest at getting three or four and a half hours sleep a night and that's that's the key thing that i think makes people really really good at this and you see that in their in their stop time um but yeah maybe maybe a day on a day off would work um i think it would depend on the individual as to whether you could always ride through the night uh successfully um and it would probably take quite a lot of practice but yeah maybe it'll work
0: yeah it's isn't it awful lot? It's, it's a thought and i look at my life and you mentioned earlier about we all like in this situation about people pros going into this racing we all need to work we all need to live we all need to sleep all these kind of things i'm quite lucky that the majority of my work is done from monday through till thursday and then i get a few days to train and you know pester my missus and stuff like that and um i i think that if i was to get into a routine like that i could i could actually work that in i could do one night sleep one night off one night sleep one night off and i think eventually you could get into a routine like that and i'll never forget an old film and you're a fan of james bond neil
1: oh yeah definitely
0: Cool. So, um Tomorrow Never Dies, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was. The one where he the guy's out on the like bloody ice racing thing trying to break the land speed record and he just before he puts the helmet on to do this like one of the runs he just goes, oh, I don't need to sleep. You can sleep when you're dead and I was just like do you think people could go without sleep? And then you realise it's just a film and you just can't after the kind of reading about it and I thought, Wow, that's that's actually quite an interesting thought that could you train yourself to have less and less and less sleep and you hear about some people saying oh yeah I'm, I'm fine on four hours sleep a night and i hear there is a percentage of people in the world that just unnaturally work on very little sleep you know and hats off for them i'm, I'm extremely jealous because they can be very productive on that thing but uh, just the extremities of changing your what do you call it the arcadian rhythm
1: circadian rhythm
0: it's okay, Arcadian. Where do I get that from? I don't know. You know, Who you, knows? yeah. It's just, it's it's just it's difficult, but I think it's an interesting concept to try it. And I I get the impression that someone one day is going to come along, out of nowhere, and dedicate not dedicate their life, but make a lot of lifestyle changes, and get to this point of where they're actually able to just go without sleep for like for example like I said one night on one night off or you know four hours a night and I I think there's there's not enough studies done into it yet to see if that kind of thing's possible you know they everyone says you know I'm going to try going without sleep and that kind of thing that's an extreme I I, I never really read studies about people trying to go on less less and less and less and less and less Or trying to change their rhythm of sleep, you normally hear about people either getting eight hours or none at all. So I think it—I think it's a really interesting concept, and I think someone's just going to come out of nowhere who really dedicates a lot of their life to this kind of racing and be like, you know what? I changed my sleeping pattern, and now I race like an absolute animal because of it.
1: Well, there's—I mean, there's certainly there's a lot of uh, research now into uh, polyphasic sleeping, which is a whole the whole sleeping separating into sleep cycles and sleeping two or three times through the day um and i think there is some research on how you get by on shorter naps um i think the body just can't cope without sleep you you have to sleep and obviously if you're skipping whole days then you're putting yourself you know back to that sleep debt that you talk about um but I think there's certainly it's probably worth investigating some of the research out there and and coming back and revisiting this topic um <clears throat> maybe based on our experiences on TCR as well
0: yeah yeah no definitely definitely I think um I, I think it'll be really interesting because the more and more we look into this the more and more I realize that you know <laughs> eating and sleeping are the two kind of things that you have to do each day and sleeping is such a big part of that but I I I know I want to just jump back to something that someone said to me a while ago, and I'm not sure how true this is, and it hasn't really come up in any research I've done or any notes I've made, but someone said to me, when you sleep, you bank your memories for the day, and it got me thinking, actually, I struggle to remember very very much about races I go on, I can only really pick up memories from pictures and video content I've made and the odd thought and I thought is that because I'm not sleeping much that I'm not banking any of these memories? Do you do you feel as though that's a true statement? I don't even remember where I heard it, but is that true? Well
1: I don't know. Couldn't answer yeah, that, that
0: one yeah that's someone said to me that's where you bank all your memories and where you process all the stuff that's happened throughout the day so the minute you stop sleeping is the minute you stop remembering and you know people say that your brain just clogs up with crap when you don't sleep that's why you can't concentrate or focus and it just wants to sleep just to basically sort out it's like having the cleaners in at the end of the day you know you go to the office you absolutely you know destroy the place because you're working so hard throughout the day and then the cleaner which is sleep comes and sorts it all out in the evening ready for the next day and i thought that was quite an interesting concept and i think maybe that is true maybe you do take less memories less you know thoughts about your racing away the less you sleep
1: yeah quite possibly
0: yeah which is thought but i i'll be honest i <laughs> There's just so much to talk about on this on this category, isn't there? But I have to ask you, Neil, your worst ever time in your life of being super tired. Oh,
1: oh, I don't know. <laughs> Do you want me to go first? That one's caught me out. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know the answer to that one. Go on, then you go. You answer that question.
0: So, um, I think I, I think I've touched on this in a previous episode. But I think probably the worst, worst ever time I've gone without sleep, and to a point of where I am just in an absolute mess, was probably the race around Netherlands when it was coming up to the last the last day, and I hadn't really slept that well the night before, and I knew I only had like 400k left to go, so I thought I'll just chuck it all in one stint. There was some headwinds, you know, everything was aching—my knees, my like my neck, my back you know I I just wasn't there probably my bike was a little bit too aggressive for it as well and and I'm going through the night and it gets to like you know midnight and that's kind of when I plan to finish but I was behind schedule because of the wind and just generally being a bit lazy throughout the day so I knew I was going to end up at the finish about three or four and it's quite easy to go oh it's only three or four hours but when you're that tired and you've barely slept in five days I think I'd probably only got about 11, 12 hours over the five days, and I sat there thinking, God, like, I'm just destroyed, and I remember thinking I need to perk myself up, so I had to, um, a couple of pro plus, like you do, and it just didn't even hit the sides, so 20 minutes in, I'm like, what else have I got? So, um I had some pre-workout, like, you can tell I'm from, like, the gym kind of era, I had, a, like, a little pot of this liquid pre-workout, so I, I had, like, a serving and a half so at this point I've had co- probably the equivalent of about six cans of Red Bull maybe seven cans of Red Bull and I am just not even still not even touching the sides I'm starting to see things on the side of the road and starting to like hallucinate just in my, my mind is everywhere and I'm just in such a mess and I carry on I see a McDonald's and uh, I think I'll go get a coffee. That would be nice. So I get a coffee, a couple of ice creams. And then I just remember sitting at McDonald's and looking out the window. And this is like 2 a.m. And I just start shaking, like uncontrollably shaking. And I think, oh, this must be because I'm cold. And then I realize i I'm in McDonald's. Everyone else has some t-shirts. And it was just all the caffeine backed up. And I am literally just... Out of control, shaking, and I jump back on the bike. Think I just need to burn this off, and I get to the finish. And my dad was like, are "You okay?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah." And I finished the race. And I thought the first thing I'm gonna do is just fall asleep in the car on the way back to the hotel. And I literally couldn't fall asleep. And it was about six or seven hours that I was just up, where I just couldn't even think. And my dad's like, "Oh, you're gonna get the ferry home today?" I'm like, "Yeah." So I start packing i have a shower start packing and i must have checked i had my passport about 12 times just because i was so paranoid and it was just awful like even though i wasn't racing it was just coming from this race and just being so heavily induced with caffeine and then after that i i just, just sleeping like pretty much for on and off for just two days i was an absolute mess and that was probably the worst ever time i've had sleep deprivation and just tried to counter it and messed up and not being able to sleep
1: I think for me it was after Glastonbury 2011 or something like that uh, we got back and uh, you basically you're on it for 5 days and mm-hmm. you know you go to bed at Standard. 7 o'clock in the morning and you, by 10 o'clock it's too hot and you need to get out of your tent after 5 days of this I went uh, we got home and I just crashed and just <laughs> i couldn't even make it to work i was i just slept for uh, like for the rest of that week that's that's probably the most uh the most tired and sleep deprived i've ever been
0: nice do you do you realize that like it's weird like when you're so i i'm 32 and i've realized that going out on a night out or doing a long ride suddenly the recovery comes a little bit longer than it used to. When I was like 19, I would be out all night. I'd be up at work the next day, really productive. Or I'd be out all night and I'd get in, get a wash, go to work, do the day. Then i will probably have a few beers that evening and then get like a six hour kip and I was fine the next day. Now, I just have a night out at like 12 o'clock, I'm like, I'm ready for ready to go home and go to bed. And this is after about six pints and maybe a shot. And then I'm just written off for two days. Well, six <laughs> pints
1: and a shot. I'd be on a, on the floor after six pints and a shot. You know, wait till you, you think it's bad at 32. Wait till you get to 44, Robbie. Then it's even worse.
0: You are um, not 44.
1: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I am. I'm old.
0: Um, Bullshit. Sorry, you, you do not look anywhere near there. Thank
1: you. Thank you. But yes, I am. I am 44. Uh, If I don't shave, you can see it. My beard goes all gray. Um, Right. So anyway, I think that's sleeping. Um, I'd love to hear listeners stories about hallucinations and extreme sleep deprivation. So if you have any great stories, then uh, leave us a message in on Instagram, on the website or on the Facebook page and if you have any questions about how you're gonna tackle uh sleeping you know if you're listening to this you're doing tcr or another big race this year then let us know how you're planning on sleeping
0: yeah yeah brilliant no i love i absolutely love the sound of that and um uh, on top of that i i think we probably should should say that if you've got any questions and things you want us to cover please ask you know we, we absolutely love to we want to talk about the stuff that you guys want to know so please please let us know what you think and i know i've had one person come to me about biking man taiwan and said i really love to hear your stories on that because they'd signed up for it so they've been asking a few questions on that and um i i think we probably will end up doing that soon but probably not for about a month as we just want to focus on you know tcr prep and stuff like that but please ask your questions we're we're so keen to talk to you to hear from you and just to just to communicate and again thank you for all the support and listening we we seem to be catching attention of you know some cool people and it, it's just really exciting um the journey that we're going on with this podcast absolutely and so yeah and um we need to get Ann on soon
1: yeah, he's the master of not sleeping. I definitely want to talk to him about sleep.
0: Um, I know that. That's exactly. I. I did actually put. I did the, write that down, and I was like, oh, "Sophie king of no sleeping." Actually, do you know what you said about the tour divide? Can I just pick up on that one second? I'll. I'll never. I'll never get over something he put. Is in he just goes when he actually decided to scratch? He just said, "You know, I'm a city boy. I'm. I'm not." used to these minus five snowy altitude extreme temperatures you know i I was up to my waist in snow and i just didn't know what to do it was night i didn't want to get lost in the forest could you imagine how scary that would be so he's from paris isn't he yes i'm not sure if he's a courier or not but um a courier courier
1: you mean a courier courier he's, he's a bike courier he's a bike messenger so How cool is that yeah but dream like, job bike couriering around paris is like a world away from being stuck at kind of ten thousand feet in the rockies when it's a snowstorm and you're lost and i uh, it's just horrific so yeah we'll uh we'll get in touch with sofian talk to him about sleep deprivation i bet he's got some great stories to tell
0: yeah i just i just what a crazy the crazy thought of this guy from a bike messenger from France in the middle of the bloody upper mountain in extreme weather conditions. What must have been going through his head, Neil? I I reckon he's just sitting there going, How the heck did I end up in this situation? <laughs> you know what I mean, like it's just nuts. I just couldn't get over the what he must have been going through then and he's still just like I'm here to win, and you're just like you are just an animal, an absolute animal. But yeah, I just sorry I had to touch on that.
1: Right. Well, Robbie, good to talk to you again, as always. Thank you to everybody for listening. Go, go do your midnight bivy, Robbie, and post some photos. And we shall catch you all
0: uh, next week. Next week, when I think we we've kind of we well actually no i'm not going to talk about the subject in case we change it cool (laughs) right brilliant right (laughs) happy days thank you everybody and have a good week